the daily practice of prayer. Oswald Chambers famously said, Prayer isn't merely preparation for the work. Prayer is the work. Also, S.D. Gordon, a Bible teacher a century ago in Boston, declared, The great people of the earth are the people who pray. Prayer isn't the only thing, but it is the chief thing. We've been in the middle of a series on prayer, the power of prayer. Prayer power has been our theme. Let's just review very quickly where we've been and what we've already covered. First of all, we talked about the keys to effective praying. And then secondly, we talked about the six kinds of prayer. There's a different type of prayer with different guidelines that affects all of our lives. And we need to employ all of those. And then thirdly, our last episode, we talked about the pattern that Jesus provides us as Christians, learning how to pray. And even Jesus told his disciples, can't you hang out with me at least just one hour while I pray? Much like them, many of us are learning still how to pray. So we learn the pattern prayer, the disciples' prayer of Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus taught us how to pray, and we followed that pattern. This week, we want to talk about the daily practice of prayer. I want to focus on how we actually go about praying, learning from the example that Jesus Christ sets for us in Scripture. Luke chapter 5 and verse 16 says this, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The word there, lonely, actually means isolated, private. So it says that Jesus oftentimes, I like that emphasis, don't you? He often withdrew to isolated, private places to pray. I don't know about you, but I found how important it is in my own personal life to withdraw. The idea of withdrawing means to separate yourself from normal activity. It's the idea of having a place and a time and a structure for prayer. And that's what we want to talk about today. I think a good way to go about this is to think about Jesus as the one who sets the example for us in prayer. We learned last week how he actually says, pray this way. And he gave us a pattern that we can use and the topics that we discussed, six of them, for the structure of our prayer life. But I want to talk to you today a little bit more about the practice and his teachings on prayer. I want to use the life of the prayer life and the prayer teachings of Jesus. Go in and explore with me his life of prayer. And then we want to glean from that on a personal level. And we'll end today by talking about some of the essentials that we've learned from the life and the example that Jesus provides for us. Why should we look at Jesus? Why should we look at Jesus as the, as the one who's going to be the master prayer example? And the reason, first of all, is because he did a lot of praying. <laughs> That's a pretty good reason, right? Jesus did a lot of praying. He's the master teacher on all subjects, but he even touched the subject of prayer on repeated occasions. We also know that Jesus is the pattern and example for us in every part of life. You want to learn about something? Look at our example, Jesus Christ. 
He was the pattern man for all believers. You want to know how to live? Follow the example that Jesus set. You want to know how to pray? Follow the example that Jesus set. You want to know how to minister? Just go and read the Gospels, and you'll learn about the ministry of Jesus, and it speaks loudly to how we should also do those things. Did you know that all through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we can only find 17 specific references to the prayer life of Jesus. Specific times, occasions where Jesus prayed and are very intriguing and informative and, and, and fascinating to explore those. So, for example, just as a quick overview, I noticed whenever I was reading through and I studied through these 17 references to prepare for today's message, I found out that he prayed in the morning. At the gateway of every day, at the beginning of every day, he prayed every morning. And he also prayed in the evening when the works the workday was over. It's a good example, isn't it? Also, I found that he prayed before great crises and during great crises that he faced uh, at his baptism. Crises being moments, important transitional moments, decision-making moments. At his baptism, he prayed. Before he selected the apostles, he prayed. At the transfiguration, he prayed. Many examples of that. I also found that great achievements in his life and ministry were all preceded by important prayer moments. That's a great example too, isn't it? Before he fed the 4,000, prayer. Before he walked on the sea, go back and read it, prayer time. Before he raised Lazarus from the dead, what was he doing? Praying. Jesus, all throughout his life, went from moment to moment with prayer, 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 prayer. We find that after great achievements, that was also followed by prayer. Isn't that interesting? Preceding every great achievement that he had and following every great achievement. Usually the follow-up was to say, thank you, Father, for doing this. That's the example we learn from Jesus. Also, by the way, great trials and sorrows. Every time he had one, he met it with a conversation with the Father in heaven. And lastly... He even died praying. As he hung on the cross, you go back and study the gospel record of his crucifixion. And he died praying. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty remarkable example for all of us. Can we dig a little bit deeper? Find a little bit more specifics about his prayer experiences? Number one, I want to give you several. Number one, let's look at him praying at his own water baptism. Let's look at that. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, get a picture of that? Jesus is being water baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. He's being water baptized, and the scripture says, And as he was praying, heaven opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Wow, even at his own baptism, he was praying. He wasn't worried about the temperature of the water. He wasn't worried about the crowds. What was he doing? He was praying. Wow. It was while waiting in prayer that he received the powerful anointing of the Holy Spirit that readied him to do ministry on this earth. This was an important, critical juncture in his life. What was he doing? Praying. Do you pray at those critical junctures in your life? Are you found in prayer, even at those important transitional moments? Prayer 
needs to be the theme. We see it in the life of Jesus. And after he left that water baptism that day at the River Jordan, you remember what he did? He immediately was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for the temptations that came from Satan. Prayer produces power. We see it in his life. Hopefully we'll see it in ours. Number two, we see following a busy day in Capernaum. Yeah, the city of Capernaum. Let me read to you from Mark chapter 1, verse 32 through 35. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house. He went off to a solitary place where he prayed. You see what's going on? At a very, very busy day at Capernaum, what do we find? We see that he had been teaching in the synagogue. We see his, his message had been interrupted by a demon-possessed man. Jesus had gone in Capernaum. You go back and read the story, and it says that he healed Peter's mother-in-law. He had faced a great crowd of diseased and demonized people. And what do we find Jesus doing instead of sleeping in the next morning? (laughs) He got up early and found a private place to pray. What incredible lessons we can learn from that. Did you know that the busier the day, the greater the need for a time of prayer? John Wesley has been said to have stated many times in his life, man, I've got so much to do this week, I need to spend extra time in prayer. Boy, the pressures of this day are going to be so great, I better take an extra hour for prayer today. I wish you and I would think about time management more with prayer at the center. The third example of Jesus' prayer life is that of Jesus while being thronged by the multitudes we find him praying. Uh, Listen to Luke chapter 5. By the way, most of these examples I'm using of his prayer life, interestingly, are all recorded by Dr. Luke in his gospel. There's only a few of them that are not in the gospel of Luke. So Luke does a great job for us of recording Jesus' prayer life. Let me read to you Luke chapter 5, verse 16. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Verse 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. Wow, just think about that. He was often thronged by the people. He had less opportunity for prayer at that very moment, but the needs of the people were great and it drove him to pray. It's no accident that we see recorded here. Right as it's talking about the pressures of ministry and the crowds and the needs What did Jesus do? He prayed more. The example of Jesus is what? The more pressure, the more demands of life, the more we want to see accomplished, the more devotion to prayer we need. The greater the outer pressure of our lives, the more jealousy we must guard against shortening our prayer moments. Prayer is a protection against frustration. Number four, He prayed before choosing the 12. Can you imagine maybe uh, the top three or four decisions Jesus made during his earthly life? Choosing the disciples had to be a critical moment. What do we find him doing? Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. 
one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. He spent the night praying. All right, stop right there. When was the last time you spent a whole night praying? Honestly, it's been a while for me. He spent the night praying to the Father. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. So the people are already still following Jesus. He's doing all this stuff. But now comes an important moment where he's got to make a decision. Who's my team? Who are the primary guys I'm going to work with? Who must I train? Who am I going to entrust the ministry of carrying on the work by the Spirit whenever I go back to be with my Father. How did he make that decision? He didn't, he didn't just go around and discuss it with other people. He didn't take a vote. There was no polling involved. He simply prayed to his Father, and he made the decision in the quietness of an all-night prayer vigil. The greater the decisions you're making in life, we need to learn to give ourselves to prayer. Critical decisions, important judgments should always be preceded by much prayer. Remember, prayer includes communing with the Father, but prayer also includes listening to the Father for wisdom. Number five is Caesarea Philippi. Jesus went to Caesarea Philippi towards the end of his earthly ministry, actually six months before the cross. Six months. He took the closest disciples to him, and he went off to the northern part. And those of you who've been in Israel know where Caesarea Philippi is, but he, he went off to this location. It was kind of a retreat setting. Took his disciples with him, and we notice in Luke chapter 9 and verse 18, once when Jesus was praying in private, there it is again, once while Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him. Isn't that interesting? He oftentimes took those disciples so they could watch him pray. That's the same context where the disciples said, Oh, Lord, would you please teach us how to pray? We see what you're doing. We don't know how to do that. And here we find his time at Caesarea Philippi. He was praying in private. The disciples were with him, and they asked him. I'm sorry, and he asked them. Jesus asked the disciples with him. He asked them a question. Who do the people say that I am? Now, Jesus was not looking for affirmation. It was a question designed to clarify his Messiahship. It was a question to make sure he knew that those disciples knew who he was. Because the follow-up question to that was what? You remember? He said, who do people say that I am? And then he said what? Who do you say I am? And all of us remember that Simon Peter spoke up and said, I know, I know, and he got the question right. All of this was in preparation so Jesus could establish that he was the Messiah. He was the fulfillment of all of those promises from the Old Covenant. And secondly, that he prepared his disciples to know it wouldn't be long before the Messiah had to go to the cross and suffer. Caesarea Philippi. Next, we see at the Transfiguration. Do you remember what the transfiguration was? It was when Jesus went to the top of this mountain and, and along with his closest three buddies. Let's read about it. Look chapter 9, verse 29. About eight days after this, Jesus said this. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James, those were his buds, and he took them with him, and they went up onto a mountaintop. For what? To pray. Notice that he didn't take them up to the mountain to have some phenomenal experience. It became a phenomenal experience for the three guys. 
But he went there to do what? To have a prayer meeting. They went up to pray, verse 29, and as he was praying, you see that? As he was praying, the appearance of his face began to change. His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And you go on and read the rest of it. And it tells us about this amazing story, maybe one of the most amazing occurrences during his earthly life that those three bros got to see. But the, there was noise. There were visual elements. There was excitingness. And, and there was a clear voice from heaven. And wow, this was, this was shocking. Flash of lightning rocked him. We refer to that as the transfiguration of Jesus on that mountain. Remember, Peter, James, and John were with him. They were so caught up at the moment in the spirit, they said, oh, Jesus, can we just put up our tents right here? We can just hang out here for good. This is so good. The glory of God is so good. The Shekinah presence of God is so good. Can we just camp out? Of course, Jesus said, no, we need to go back and get to work. There's a clear pattern that prayer was the ongoing atmospheric ecosystem in the life of Jesus. Everywhere he went, it was all about prayer. Number seven, he prayed after the return of the 70. Do you remember this in the scriptures? He had sent the 70 disciples out and he gave them new authority over demons. He told them to go and to preach the good news, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons. That was his admonition and his commission to them. They went out, and then they came back to him. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 20 and 21, this is what the Scriptures tells us. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, they were shocked, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority. So he's explained to them the authority that they had. I've given to you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the demons submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, verse 21, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, Father, I praise you, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Notice what happens. He sends his disciples out. He commissions them to go and do all these miracles, to share the gospel, spread the kingdom. And then they came back, and they were so excited because demons were responding to their authority. And Jesus instructed them, and then the moment he got through, he given a little word of instruction to them. He said, all of a sudden, what did he do? He entered into prayer. Do you see this? After a great experience, he was praying, Father, thank you so much. How many times in your moments of victory do you pause long enough to really give thanksgiving and prayer to the one who gave you the results anyway? Let's go on and look at another example. Luke chapter 22. This is the intercession, Jesus' intercession for Peter. You may remember the story, Luke 22, verse 31 and 32. This is what Jesus said. Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, so that your faith may not fail. Once again, what do we see? There's a lot of lessons in that story, by the way. But, uh, but he's basically saying the devil's after you. 
Simon, you're an important cog in this plan that I've got. And the devil wants to destroy you. But I prayed for you so that your faith may not fail. Again, how did Jesus function? Prayer. This is an example of intercessory prayer. Jesus, standing in the gap. Who was he praying for? He was praying for Peter because he knew what he was getting ready to go through. The devil was going to increase his attacks. This is the reflection here of one of his prayer habits that we see illustrated by all these examples. Again, what about another one? His high priestly prayer found in John chapter 17. Uh, unlike the Lord's Prayer, which commonly people refer to in Matthew chapter 5, really John chapter 17 should be called the Lord's Prayer. We commonly refer to it as the what? The high priestly prayer. This is where Jesus provides, and John records it for us, a lengthy prayer that Jesus prays. And I won't read all of John chapter 17, but it's, I'll simply read one phrase. It simply says this. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed. And then we have the prayer recorded in John 17. He prayed for a lot of different things there. He prayed for his disciples. He prayed that they would be one. He prayed for all the believers that would be added to the body of Christ. And he prayed that we'd live our lives in unity. He prayed a prayer of protection. Wow, this is a powerful prayer that we read from Jesus. He prayed for the church. He prayed that they might be one and that they might abide in him. Jesus is praying gives us a lengthy example of a prayer. Final example I'll give you from his practice in life was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Most of you are familiar with this one. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and said to them, sit over here while I go over there and what? Pray. You guys stay here. They're already at a kind of a private gathering point in the garden, brought them all together, said, y'all stay here. I'm going to go over here and pray. It's an important point to watch. He took Peter. He took two sons of Zebedee along with him, some of his closer relationships, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Verse 38, he said to them, my soul, he said this to the three guys, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow even to the point of death. This is his struggle. He's struggling. How? In prayer. And he said, stay here and watch and pray with me. Now, the story goes on and the scripture tells us that Jesus fell to his ground. Let me just read this phrase to you in verse 39. Going a little farther, meaning distance-wise, space from his disciples. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He was feeling the weight of the decision to go to the cross to pay for our sins. How did he do it? In a prayerful, prayerful evening. Once again, we see the Lord's humanity here. He's... He's, he's being honest and transparent about the suffering, the separation that he was anticipating from the Father that he would have if he took the penalty of sin upon himself. Note also the reason that he gives for failure in prayer. And If you go back and read the whole text, you'll read it. And it says, Jesus said to the disciples when they couldn't stay awake praying, he said this, your spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. <laughs> no, I tell you what, I, that is true with me. 
There are many times my spirit is willing, but man, the physical flesh and the carnality of my life many times fights against prayer. There are many times that I, I, my spirit says, get up and pray, and I say, oh, I want to take another hour of sleep. Maybe some of you can agree with that, understand it. Jesus' total submission to the Father's will. Whatever his own human feelings may be, what did he say? I really don't want to deal with this, but it's not my decision. I choose to do your will, Father. How did he do it? He fell to his face. And we see pictures and representations artists have provided for us of Jesus kneeling, agonizing at the place of Gethsemane. All right. And we have the example of Jesus. What does it mean for you and for me? Let's wrap up by me sharing what I consider to be some essentials of daily prayer. Now, I'm talking about you and me as followers of Jesus, how we go about our normal daily prayer life. What should it look like? What should be the components? What's the toolbox? What's the equipment? Let me read to you this one scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. A lot of people get hung up on that little phrase that says, pray without ceasing, thinking it means we need to be in the... You know, we need to be at church nonstop or that we need to be, uh, that our whole life is to be consumed by, by focused prayer. This actually is talking about an attitude of prayer, a non-ceasing heart of communication with the Father. Did you know you can go through your normal daily routines? You can go through your work. You can go through your social life. You can go through whatever you need to do with your kids and your wife and husband and whatever. You can do it praying without Ceasing prayer should always be the constant attitude of our hearts. Now, let me give you these essentials that I think are needed for daily prayer. Remember what the disciples said. They watched him pray and they said, Luke 11, 1, Lord, teach us how to pray. Let me, let me offer some things that I've learned are helpful. I call them essentials, but they are definitely helpful aids in an effective prayer life, a daily prayer life. Number one is a time to pray. I found if you don't have a specific time to pray, you will not pray very regularly. Yes, we all need to have an attitude of constant prayer, but we also need a time to pray. I'm not, I'm not one that says there's only one time to pray and this is it. We actually notice in the life of Jesus, he prayed in the morning, he prayed in the evening, and many times he prayed through the evening. But my point is what? There was a time. What is your time for prayer? Whether it be first thing in the morning, we're all wired a little bit different. Some people do great praying first thing in the morning. Some people pray better uh, through their whole uh, hour of lunchtime at work. Uh, some people do better uh, praying in the evening. I think Pray, obviously, pray multiple times, but have a specific time for your personal devotions. Number two, a place of prayer. Now, this may seem strange to you, a place of prayer. Luke 11, 1 records this. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Did you know it's helpful from a habit standpoint of developing your place of prayer? Many of you have seen the the recent movie called War Room, which, by the way, one of our 
uh, new journey groups is using that study guide, war room. The war room was simply a closet, a prayer closet that this particular family used. You know, I don't care whether it's a closet. I don't care whether it's in your car. I don't care whether it's at a private place that you can't be interrupted. But have a place that you know you can go for prayer. And I have had in my own life their favorite places. In different places I've lived, I've picked a place. Mine, for me, uh, whenever I can, I like mine to be outdoors. You may be someone that just prefers the closet approach. Whatever. Have a place. We notice in Scripture that Jesus prayed in secret. He chose private places. He also prayed in the company of others, too. But he prayed in solitude on the mountainside. The point is, it was private. You need daily a private time and a private place with Father God. Number three, a posture of prayer. In addition to having a certain time and a certain place, you need a posture for prayer. Now, by the way, I'm, I'm not really strict and legalistic about this, but I just wanted to point out there's different postures you take in prayer. The religious Pharisees always would make sure that their posture was very public and very uh, robust, and they wanted everybody to watch them. I'm not dealing with that, but there are different ways you can pray. For example, you can pray kneeling. We read in Scripture, it says that tells us that Jesus knelt tells us that he knelt. Another time it told us that another time it tells us that he fell on his face. So one posture would be prostrate, just lying out on your face before God. Also, you may just be standing. We see Jesus walking from place to place and as he stood or as he moved, he was praying. There's different postures. There is not one posture. There are many different postures, but I think there are certain ones that from time to time you need to take a different posture of prayer. Some of you are so busy and so rapid on the go people that you need to stop and just sit and pray. You may have a favorite chair that you sit in. You take a sitting posture or a kneeling posture or a laying down posture. Be careful you don't fall asleep. But take a posture of prayer. Number four, you need a plan for prayer. Now, we dealt with that last week in our third message in this series. A plan such as using the plan of Matthew chapter 5. Have a plan that you follow, a structure to aid your prayer life. By the way, if you have a plan, you'll pray, be able to pray longer. Number five, you need the Word of God, a Bible with you. You say, wait, I thought you were talking about prayer. Yes. But we have learned that it's important. In the first week, we learned it's important to what? Pray the Word. Pray the Word of God to the Father God in the name of Jesus. Do you remember me telling you that? You need the Bible so that you can stand on the promises of God's Word. You can read a scripture and then go to prayer. Read scripture, then go to prayer. Go to prayer, and then the Lord will lead you to another passage of scripture. Have a Bible with you close when you have your, your devotional time in prayer. Now, again, you're going to pray all, you should have a constant attitude of prayer. You're going to pray many different times. But at some time during your day, you need a set time and place and plan in the Bible for your prayer time. The last one I would mention, number six, would be a journal, a prayer journal. Some of you have experimented with this. Maybe some of you have never experimented with it. Buy a journal. Buy a notebook. Use your smart device if you care to. But have a journal that you use for prayer points. 
I keep a list of things I need to be praying about. I update the list. I mark certain things off. I add certain things. And also, I use that journal as a place to write notes, reflections, contemplations, uh, scriptures, promises, words that the Lord speaks to me during prayer time that I want to write down. I have to be candid with you. Most of my life, I've never used the, the discipline of using a journal. Only in the last five, six years have I really become better about a journal. I wish that I would have started that discipline from day one as a believer. But I didn't. And um, I've given many excuses in the meantime, but I'm, I'm working on it now, and I'm getting better. And I found it to be great. I love to be able to go back to the journal. And by the way, put the dates on your journal. Go back to a date. Say, what, did, what was it God was speaking to me about back then? It's very helpful. Let's review a time of prayer, a place of prayer, a posture of prayer, a plan of prayer, a Bible, and a journal. And with those essentials, my friend, you can follow the example that Jesus gave us in Scripture that we read about today. And you can develop a consistent daily prayer life that will move you from drudgery to delight, from it being a burden to a joy. I want to pray for you right now. I want to pray for your daily prayer life. Would you agree with me? Father God, we're so thankful that we can learn deeply about not only the importance of prayer, but the practice, the tactical approach to daily prayer. Lord, forgive us for not praying daily, for going days, some of us weeks, without consulting you, without praising you, without having a moment that we pause long enough to really have a daily prayer life. And Lord, we ask that even today you would anoint these words and cause it to be a helpful instruction and encouragement for each and every one of us who hear these, this message. Lord, uh, even next week as we talk about praying for the nation. Lord, we pray that you would prepare our hearts and help move us into individually and corporately as a house of prayer. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you.